Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in the Bay Area, it's time for Bay Area Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Bay Area Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. But before we get started, it's important to recognize our sponsor, Leah Davis Consulting, inspiring women of color to claim their wealth legacy. Today on Bay Area Business Radio, we have Chef Leilani Baugh, and she is with Magnolia Street Wine Lounge and Kitchen and Ruin Vine Catering. Welcome, Chef. Thank you. How are you? I am so excited to be talking to you. Please let us know what you got going on. How are you serving folks? You got a lot of of, uh, pots on the stove there. We do. Literally, literally, we have a lot of pots on the stove right now. Um, So we are open Friday through Sunday. And we're right here downtown. Well, we're in West Oakland, um, close to the Emeryville border. And so right now we're serving people with outside dining and takeout um, until the county opens up up, which I think they're going to open us up soon. There were rumors that we were going to be open this week for 25%. So now, um, can we get a little bit to your backstory? So it's fascinating to me. Um, How did you get involved in the restaurant and hospitality business? Well, what's interesting is I never really wanted a restaurant (laughs) (laughs) because I watched my uncle get up every day at two o'clock in the morning to go to his restaurant. I was just like, what is he doing? And so it's our little inside joke now because he says, wow, you've just turned into me, except a girl version. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, pretty much. Um, Born and raised in Oakland. Um, I lived between my two grandmothers, um, Joan, uh, which is my Chinese grandmother, and then Willie Mae, which is my African-American grandmother. And both were cooks. Um, my, uh, grandmother, Willie Mae was the mother of the kitchen at church. So she did all of the cooking for all the church functions. And, you know, my grandmother was, a my other grandmother was a home cook, you know, um, immigrated from China. And so she's the one that took me to the market, taught me how to haggle and all that good stuff. So I got, I got great, great knowledge and skills from both sides. Um, and so it's always fun. Some of my earliest memories are you know, actually standing in the same spot, just different houses with different grandma. (laughs) It's always at the sink doing something. So now how did that impact you as a child growing up and seeing kind of these two, they're both doing a similar activity, but they're doing it maybe from a totally different point of view from a kind of a cooking aesthetic. Oh yeah, absolutely different POVs. You know, my grandmother, uh, one grandmother's cooking, you know, Southern soul food. The other one was, you know, steaming fish and making dumplings. And so it was awesome. I mean, I never, I, I don't think, you know, growing up, I ever realized what a blessing it was to be able to have the influence from both sides. It really wasn't until I started, you know, being in the restaurant business that I was just like, well, what kind of food you know, what kind of food would I like for people to have? What kind of food do I want to share? Because that's what it's all about is sharing the cultures and sharing, you know, the food with people to, you know, broaden their horizons or so that they can try different, you know, food from different points of view. So it's just, you know, you, when you're growing up, you don't think about it. You're just like, oh, we're making dumplings at one grandma's house and we're making greens at the other grandma's house. (laughs) 
Now, when when that was happening, did you have kind of a favorite? Like, were there certain foods from one culture that you were like, this is my go-to, or in this one I'm not a big fan of? Like, at some point, you know, I would think that there has to be in your head kind of this fusion that's happening that you're kind of picking and choosing the best of both. Well, the good part about it is, is that because I would take food from one house to the other house, it's kind of like what I do now. I kind of like mash things together. <laughs> Right. Eat them both. Um, And so I would do a lot of that. Um, There wasn't really an option not to like anything, you know, back in in those days. I won't date myself, but back in those days, you ate what you got. Right. Right. It's not like now where my you know, my son was a my youngest son was a vegetarian for a long time. So we literally had to, you know, make a separate meal for him. It wasn't like that back then. I think the only couple of things that I refused to eat and was willing to go to bed without dinner was chitlins and liver. <laughs> Wasn't going to eat that. Was not like would want to be out of the house when the chitlins were being made, period. Um, and then for my other, you know, with my Chinese grandmother, there really wasn't much that I wouldn't eat um, because of the fact that, you know, she because I lived with her and I was the only kid in there, she pretty much tailored what we were having based on what I liked. So a little spoiled, just a little bit. <laughs> now, what about kind of the spices? How did that impact uh, you kind of growing up with these two different spice profiles when it came to the cooking? Were you able to kind of create a bridge for each of them go, Hey, you should try this or you should try that. I think what we've done, well, you know, coming out soon, we have some, um, I have some spices coming out and I did fuse, um, some Asian spices along with, uh, with my Cajun Creole seasoning. So that's going to be fun. That's the one that we've coined as Cajun, which is C-A-S-I-A-N. <laughs> um, and it's a happy little marriage of those two profiles. Um, but growing up and learning the different thing, you know, learning what seasonings to put in with, you know, the different foods, it was always interesting because I had one grandmother who relied heavily on, you know, um, herbs and vegetables and, you know, different things that we got from the market. And then the other grandmother was more into, you know, we've got garlic, we've got soy sauce, we've got oyster sauce. (laughs) So we've got a lot of different things. And so what we do here in the, in the restaurant is, you know, we kind of fuse it all together. Um, And so, you know, and it's funny because there's lots of, there's lots of ways to, you know, go back and forth between those two spice profiles to make a, you know, to make something that can be used on both kinds of food. So now, um, growing up in that environment, obviously impacted you and it's obviously impacted your career. At what point did this start becoming a business for you? And you start seeing the opportunity for it to be a business for you? Well, I will say, Um, You know, I was in, I've been in hospitality for 20 plus years. Um, I was a meeting planner. I was a social event planner for 20 years. And so I was always in the kitchen anyway. Um, And because I've always cooked for my family and my friends, you know, and being in hospitality, like I said, I was always surrounded by food. So, um, you know, I got my start in 2013 when I, um, catered a friend's birthday party. And I, I, you know, I kept telling him the whole time, kicking and screaming, I'm not a caterer. I'm not a caterer. And he was just like, Oh, you'll be fine. It's just a couple of friends. Just do it. <laughs> and stop whining. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. 
you know, and I did it. And what I didn't realize is that, you know, all the people, all of his guests were attorneys and, you know, um, like just really high profile people from Fortune 500 companies. And then the next thing I know, I started getting calls from them saying, you know, hey, can you cater our Black History Month? And, you know, and I found myself, you know, going from catering a brunch, um, a brunch for 50 to doing Black History Month celebrations for hundreds of people at a law firm. So it was a interesting transition because I was in corporate, I've been in corporate for forever, you know, for since I was 17 years old. So making the move to doing hospitality full time was a little scary um, when you have a regular job, right? So, but I knew probably I would say about the end of 2014 that doing the catering was something that I really enjoyed. People loved the food. And so that's how that career started off. Um, Like I started out saying, I never wanted a restaurant. It was never my intention to have one. And my husband kept saying, you're going to end up getting a restaurant. You know that, right? You're going to end up getting a restaurant. And I was just like, no, I'm not. I promise you I'm not, you know? And basically what happened was I got an opportunity from my friend, Stephanie Sullivan, who manages Bricks 581 over by Jack London Square. They needed a chef. Um, And so what they were offering, you know, in terms of having my own kitchen space versus renting out a commercial kitchen and not being able to have my customers be able to sit down anywhere to eat. The next thing you knew, I had a restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how that came about. And now uh, that restaurant, you know, I named Ruin Vine after the catering company. Um, And now we're on our second iteration of restaurant life with Magnolia Street Wine Lounge and Kitchen. Now, um, did you have any kind of thoughts while this was occurring? And it sounds like you're kind of accidentally, uh, the universe accidentally maybe guided you in this direction. Um, but did you have any like of this imposter syndrome? Like, I'm not really a chef that, you know, I grew up around food, but that, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not a, a real, real chef, but you just seem to have be really great at it. And were able to, you know, kind of execute at a level where people were happy with what you were doing. Did, did you have any of those fears or insecurities? Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. You know, I didn't go to culinary school. I am just a home cook that just happens to make food that people enjoy um, and, and, and they want to pay for it. So I'm appreciative of that, but I have those thoughts all the time. You know, I never even, I never even considered myself a chef, nor did I call myself a chef until um, a friend of mine who I was working with started calling me chef. And I was just like, why are you calling me that? And he was just like, because that's what you are. And I was like, no, you have to go to culinary school to be a chef. And he was just like, no, you don't. You're a chef. You cook food for people. People buy it. They eat it. They love it. You're running a business. You're a chef. And so I was just like, I always, you know, it's funny because when someone calls out to me on the street and they're like, Chef Leilani, I kind of giggle on the inside because I'm like, me, are you talking to me? You know, even now, you know, with all the awesome things that have been happening when people stop me and they're like, oh my God, you're Chef Leilani. And I'm like, yeah, why are you looking at me like, <laughs> what? yes, that, <laughs> I think so. I think that's me. Um, so yeah, I have those feelings all the time. And I think that a lot of, a lot of people who don't go to culinary school have those 
you know, have those thoughts, like, am I really a chef? Am I really up to fitting that name? And I think that, you know, depending on whether you're doing what you love, you know, if you're doing what you love and you're doing, you know, what you're intended to do, if you're sharing your gift, you know, and they want to call you chef or an angel or whatever it is that they want to call you, you can be all those things. You know, a piece of paper that says you've completed some school doesn't make your food and it doesn't make you who you are. And I think that's a great lesson for our listeners that are in all kinds of businesses that, you know, the credential is not what the person is. Like there's a saying that the the um, the map is not the territory. You know, exactly. you, you are doing the work. You are obviously are able to do this and have happy customers Um, The credential isn't needed for you to do that, obviously, but if they want to call you that, then they can call you that because, you know, the results are the results. You can't deny that. Exactly. And, and, and I think too, you know, let's just be honest, you know, my degrees are in psychology and family therapy. (laughs) (laughs) My, my, my degrees have nothing to do with food at all. But I don't think your customers care. I don't think they care either. In fact, I think it comes in handy. <laughs> right. It probably comes in handy managing the staff. Oh, it, oh that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother show. <laughs> that's a whole nother show. Well, now speaking of kind of managing folks, how did, how have you handled this pandemic? I mean, this is something that's unprecedented in our lifetime and for especially folks in the restaurant business to be going through this kind of chaos and turmoil and and kind of not even knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, how uh, have you been able to manage your folks and keep them engaged and keep the customers coming? How, how have you been doing that? You know, we started off last year, you know, because we weren't really open yet. We when the pandemic hit, we were right at the tail end of opening Magnolia Street. So we were waiting on final inspections and then the city shut down. So we were like, oh, my God, we can't even open because now there's this pandemic and nobody at the city is working. So who's going to do our inspection? Um, So finally, in April, when they opened back up, we got all of our inspections done and we were able to open, but we were only able to open for takeout. So when I started, um, when I started catering, I did start doing pop-ups. And so I had pop-ups at a couple of galleries here in Oakland um, and I would do pop-ups at the commercial kitchen. And so it wasn't even a thought. Once I knew that we could open for takeout, I just said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and we're going to, you know, we're going to pivot quote unquote, we're going to pivot and do pop-up style takeout. Um, it'll keep people engaged. It'll keep people interested and it'll keep employees at work. One of the good things about the employees that I do or that I did have when we, when the pandemic started was most of them had regular jobs. So, you know, they were okay with waiting out. Um, they were okay with like waiting out until we were able to do a little bit more and open up a little bit more, um, or when the pop-up schedule got a little, you know, a little heavier. So I was able to keep, um, I, I was able to keep maybe a quarter of my staff doing the pop-ups. And then when we partnered with WCK World Central Kitchen to start doing the meals for the community, 
we were basically catering for the community four days a week. And so that was what allowed me to bring more of my staff people back because then we needed, you know, I needed extra hands in the kitchen. So I needed to bring back um, Chef Mecca. I needed to bring back um, Chef Tam and Aaron and, you know, to be able to handle the load that we were doing with WCK. But like most things in the pandemic, it comes in waves, right? So you have, you know, we have the need for kitchen staff, but we didn't have a need for servers because we were just doing takeout. So, you know, that's something that I could, you know, that we could do in-house without bringing back one of, you know, bringing back um, too many of our servers. And so it was just, it's always been this fine dance between how many hours we have to, you know, how many hours we have to offer versus what our payroll budget can handle. And, you know, now that a lot of the WCK program has wound down, you know, we've gone from doing 1200 meals a week to 200. So now we're back in that state where I don't need so many hands in the kitchen during the week per se, but the restaurant is open Friday through Sunday. So I, I'm always, always manipulating the schedule and just trying to make sure that, you know, my folks can work, you know, it's, my responsibility because they're like my family and it's my responsibility to make sure that they can take care, you know, that I feel rather that it's my responsibility to help them be able to take care of their families as much as they can. It's the glamorous restaurant life that you were trying to avoid as a young person. Yes. You should see the bags under my eyes. It's just <laughs> like constant thinking in the middle of the night. Oh my God, how many hours do we have for people? You know? So it's just, you know, and this is the part that I didn't, you know, want um, through the restaurant business, you know, catering, you know, it's you hire based on the job, right? You know, with the restaurant, it's ongoing, right? It's every day, right? It's every day. And you don't know, you know, are there going to be 80 customers? Are we going to turn the, you know, are we going to turn our little outside parklet 15 times? Are we going to turn it two times? Right? You You don't know every day is an adventure. Every Every day is an adventure, and I pray every day that it's not quite as adventurous as the last. <laughs> well, congratulations on all the success. Um, you're doing important work, and we appreciate you. And this story is one, I mean, I hope to see on in a movie theater. I mean, it's a great story. It really is an amazing yeah. story. Um, congratulations. Thank you so much, Lee. Now, if somebody wants to kind of learn more about what you got going on, is there kind of a central website for both of those restaurants or? um, Yes. So if you go to uh, chefleilani.com, you'll be able to find out all the good stuff that's happening at the restaurant and through catering. Um, We started some amazing uh, cooking demonstrations via Zoom um, for couples and families and you know, different organizations and stuff like that. So we're doing some really cool stuff. We're still feeding our community. We're still, you know, working with a couple of different organizations to make sure that our community members and our seniors can get fed, you know, can get their meals. Um, so that's been really, really heartwarming work and necessary work. Um, and so, you know, being a blessing to others is what keeps you blessed and what keeps you going. So check us out. Give us a call if you have any questions. Our number is 510-205-8540. 
And um, if somebody wants to do the Zoom thing, is that do they come to your uh, restaurant to pick up the food and they go back on Zoom and then cook it together? Or is it somebody that uh, can anybody anywhere kind of uh, go in? We can do either option. Um, we are doing um, a Zoom class for an organization where we're actually like mailing out the food um, to people. So it's a food pack that has everything that they need in it. Um, we also have the ability to have people come here to the restaurant and they can pick up their food and wine boxes. And then for people that are, you know, that are spread out all over, we offer classes where it's, you get an ingredient list, a shopping list rather, Mm -hmm. and the recipes, and then you can follow along on Zoom. Wow, that's fantastic. You're able to reach everybody now. It's not just the immediate area. You can reach people all over the globe. All over the globe. And I think it's pretty amazing that somebody wants to learn how to make shrimp and gr- shrimp and grits in Sri Lanka. You know, you, know, <laughs> you don't know. You never know. You never know. Well, thank you again for sharing your story today. Thank you for having me, Lee. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Bay Area Business Radio. 